This morning, I'm going to do my best to pass on some information to you that I have learned from one of my mentors, kind of a mentor from a distance. His name is Andy Stanley. Something I've learned from him, and as accurately as I can, I want to now pass it on to you. I uh, have had so many different conversations with people over the past four years since we've started Stuttgart Harvest Church that have said something like this. They said, Harley, I am so thankful for Stuttgart Harvest Church because I had given up on religion. I had given up, almost given up on God, and I have not been to church. And actually now, they say, I hear this so many times now, for the first time, I'm actually excited about going to church. And we hear that so many times. Because there's a growing number of people in our town, in our society, really, let's be honest, in the United States, a growing number of people who, because of various experiences and things that they have seen happen and, and headlines that they have read about, about churches and leaders and about failures, so many different things have caused them to say, I want to pack up all of my religious experience and traditions, I want to box them up and I want to drag them out to the garage and I just want to leave them and bury them there and I want to give up on religion. So many people have those feelings. In fact, it's not that they want to do that. They're not out picketing churches and they're not writing angry letters about churches but in their heart, they really would like to have that simple faith that their grandparents have or that simple faith that their parents have. But for some reason, some things have happened or they've seen some things or felt some things, experienced some things that have caused them to want to just box it up and pack it away. Maybe this morning, maybe you have not lost your religion. Maybe you though, are considering packing it up. Maybe you have had thoughts about, maybe, uh, maybe it's just not worth all of this effort. It, it, the word religion itself has so many negative connotations. I mean, it's such a bad history related to religion. In fact, for us Christ followers, it's an embarrassing history. I mean, you go back to all the evil that has been done in the world under the name of religion, the crusades, and what those people did to the Jewish people or to Muslims. And then you look at the, the, the early centuries of what the Muslims did to the Jewish people back in the 7th century. And then from that, you, you think about all of the injustice that was done under the name of religion like with the Spanish Inquisition, where they would, some people were killed just because, according to them, they took communion the wrong way. And now in our society, the scandals involving religion and abuse and child abuse and money and the list goes on and on and on. In fact, we could make a really good case that would say religion might even take more away from our society than it does add to it. Many of you have your own stories of how you have been treated by a church. It's easy to understand how someone would want to give up on religion. Often as we grow up, 
we take what we were taught as children and maybe we begin to look at it through different eyes and we begin to kind of look behind the curtain and to see what's really going on. And sometimes we see that instead of a, a, a man of God, instead of him building God's kingdom, and instead of him making God famous in our society today, the real goal was for him to make himself famous and to build his own kingdom and to use the Bible to actually manipulate people to get them to do what he wants them to do, to follow him really instead of following God. It's easy to build a case against religion. It's not difficult at all. In fact, the truth is, if we were really honest today, the truth is even the normal average person like you and me, even we have manipulated religion for our own interest. We have prayed special prayers for our football team to win, right? We've, paid, we've prayed special prayers for the job that we need when the person beside us may not have had a job either, but... Somehow, even the stuff that we have boxed up, if you've even given up on religion and packed it away and put it in your garage, when things go wrong, sometimes we run back to those traditions and we run back to those rituals just saying this, well, just in case it's true, I need to do that because I'm in deep trouble here. We've all somehow manipulated religion for our own personal gain as well. But, you know, for most of us, for the average person, really, religion is not really the point. Most of us, we don't worry too much if we're supposed to kneel at this point and say these words and do this stuff or light this over here and do. Most of us don't worry about that too much because most of us realize that God is far beyond any of our traditions. The big question most of us have is usually, who is God? I mean, when I'm laying in bed and I'm praying my prayers, are they just bouncing off the ceiling? Am I talking to myself, really, or am I talking to God? Does God know my name? Does he care that I have hurts and pains in my life? That, that, those are the questions most of us want to answer. Well, in phases of our lives where we have tried to live our lives apart from God, we also realize how incredibly lonely that can be. Because there's something inside of us, even when we're living apart from God, there's something inside of us that says and asks this question, is God real? Perhaps God is real. And there's something inside of us that makes us, drives us to want to know the answer to that question. Most of us in here would be willing to pack up all of our religious traditions from the past, all of the rituals we've been told that we need to participate in, all of the postures, all of the, the worship stances, all the things we've been told. We would be willing to box up that religion and to place it in the garage if someone could assure us that there is a God who knows your name and who hurts when you hurt. If we could be assured of that, most of us would pack up all of this stuff that has weighed us down and we would box it up and put it away. But so many of us have lost that assurance. 
And when we lose that assurance, we begin looking at our religious traditions and our experience, and we begin asking those questions and wondering and saying, is there anything to all of this? Do I need to kneel here and bow here and do this? Is all of this, what is, and we begin to ask ourselves and say this to ourselves, maybe that is just something I was taught as a kid. And I just kind of held on to it. But yet, in your heart, there's still this desire to know, is there God? Does God really know my name? And when I pray, is there anybody out there? We also have this intense desire to associate purpose in this life. In other words, we want to know that when things happen in life, that there's some kind of meaning behind it, some kind of purpose. And, I mean, we don't do that when good things happen. I mean, when you get a pay raise or when your child comes home and they made a great grade on their test, 100% on their test, they don't come home and say, Mom, I wonder why God wanted me to make 100 on this test. We don't ask that. We ask the questions when things go wrong. I mean, we want to know that there's purpose. When our child is sick, when, when, when someone in our life dies, when we go through pain and hurtful things, we want to know, certainly, surely, there must be a purpose behind this. In fact, that's why we use phrases like, everything happens for a reason, right? Because there's something inside of us that wants to know when life is spinning out of control, there's a greater purpose. Something, someone is controlling and charged, knows, is aware of what is happening in this world. We want it to have purpose. And that's why our hearts will never leave this God thing alone. And that's one reason why religion really will never get away from us. Because there's something in our hearts that continues to draw us back toward God. And a big part of that is us wanting to know that there's purpose in this life. So religion, really, it's not going to go away. We're not going to get very far from it. It's not at least going to completely go away. So for the next four weeks, today and three more weeks... This is what we're going to talk about. This is where we're going to land. Perhaps this morning you have lost your religion and someone coached you here. They talked you into coming. They promised to buy you lunch. You better buy them lunch. <laughs> they, 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 you are here because they brought you and maybe, maybe, you, maybe you have lost your religion. Maybe they brought you here and maybe any of us who showed up this morning heard about the topic and maybe... Maybe you haven't lost your religion. If you have lost your religion, let me tell you this. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to convince you of anything. We're just simply this morning, I'm going to try to encourage you. That's all. If you have this morning, maybe you haven't lost it. Maybe you haven't packed it up and rolled it away to the garage. But maybe for you, maybe you're in the process of losing your religion. Maybe you're just kind of in the process. It's slowly been going away. That hope that you had maybe has slowly been dissipating. 
And you're just here this morning hoping that something said is going to help bring you along and encourage you. But here's, let me tell you what we're going to discover together. Not today. This is going to be over the course of this series. But here's what we're going to discover. This is where we're heading. Perhaps, perhaps we have been looking for God in all the wrong places. Perhaps we have. Perhaps in our life as we have grown up as children and then young adults, maybe we have embraced a system or maybe it's just been an approach that has defined God, but yet it has been leaving us still looking for God. And we've been looking for him maybe in traditions and maybe in rituals and maybe in habits. We've been looking for God and associating God with things that he never intended to be associated with. Maybe we have been looking for God in all the wrong places and it has left us to ask questions that we're not getting answers for. And we have concluded that this really must be nothing. And we have boxed it up and we've put it in the garage. Maybe we never were looking for God in the right place to begin with. And if we're considering this, there's really two things that might happen. One might be that we just continue, even though we have no hope and no peace, we might continue to embrace the traditions that we grew up with. We might continue to embrace the habits and the repetitions that we grew up with, even though they're, they seem to be empty and we've looked behind the curtain and we haven't liked what we've seen. We may just continue to embrace them because that is what we have always done. The other option really is that we may choose to box it up and we may choose to drag it out to the garage or drag it up to the attic. All of our experience and all of our tradition and all of our ritual, we may just box them up and we may just bury them away. So here's where we're going to start today. This morning I'm going to tell you this guy's story. It's about his deconversion. Every time someone converts to something, they are deconverting from another thing. When you believe something, then you are deconverting from whatever it was you did believe. And so we're going to tell you a deconversion story this morning. This guy became a follower of Jesus. He deconverted from Judaism. And we're going to discover, as we read his story, we're going to discover some insight that is going to kind of point us in the direction of a real, a genuine connection with God. Beyond any ritual and beyond any tradition that we have grown up with or that we have been taught, it's going to take us beyond that to a real connection with God. It's not going to be about here's where you sit down and here's where you stand up and here's where you kneel, here's where you bow, here's where you make this symbol, here's where you light this, here's where you do that. It's not going to be about anything we do. It's going to be about a real connection with God. And he kind of stumbles upon this information. Now, to get to his story, we're going to be reading from an ancient document, a centuries-old document, thousands of years, written thousands of years ago. And it's a single document that um, tells the story of this guy's life, basically. 
And this document was written during the time that it, that it actually happened. And so it's about 50 years after, um, 50 years after Jesus was born. This document, 50-ish, this document was written down. And it's while this guy was alive, he was still alive and still around. And these were his words that came out and they put them down on paper. And the cool thing is this document kind of floated around all the Middle East because this guy was kind of famous because you'll hear why in just a moment because of what was happening and what was going on and what he had been involved in. He was kind of famous and people all over the region, all over the Middle East wanted to read and hear about his story firsthand. So this document floated around. In fact, it was so popular that they wrote down many copies of it and multiple copies were floating around. Now get this, it floated around for like 200 years. So well beyond the death of this man, it floated around. And, and then these people got together and they said, you know what? We have about 200 years after this thing was written down. Not when it happened, 200 years after it was written down. They, people got together and they said, you know what? I, we've got copies of other things that are about the very same thing, written by some other guys, about the very same thing, the very same time. And they pulled these together and they put them together. And that's where we get the New Testament. And I tell you this because some of you, if you are struggling with losing your religion or you have already boxed it up and drug it out to the garage and you're saying this perhaps, well, listen, don't give me any of that Bible stuff. I don't believe the Bible. Maybe that's what you would say. So this, this morning, I just simply want to say this. We're not going to break down the Bible this morning. We don't have time to do that. The Bible was pulled together, the collections of all of these writings that happened right around the time that these things were happening in the New Testament. They pulled them together. We're not, so we're not talking about the Bible. We don't have time to address that this morning. But let's just take one of those documents and we're going to look at it. And that is a long explanation for me to simply say we're going to be looking in the Bible at the book of Acts this morning, which is going to tell us this story. But the reason why that is important for you to understand this is that I, I understand how you might come to me and say, well, I don't believe the Bible. I, I mean, that's a battle for some people. I understand that. I, I believe the Bible. But you don't even have to believe the Bible to listen to this story that we're going to tell you this morning because it's a first-hand account this man's life, it came from his mouth, and this man named Luke wrote it down. This, they were friends. They were, this is the experience. So we have this guy's true story right here. So we're going to look at his story of his deconversion the way he tells his story. So let's do that. We find it in the book of Acts. Now let me tell you about this guy. This guy's name is Saul. You'll hear me talk of him as Paul. Because his name changes when he begins to follow Jesus, he, his, God changed his name to Paul. So this guy Saul, he was a devout religious man. So He was the most religious person he knew. And he was so, get, get this, he was like a Jewish man who was part of ISIS. I mean, that's the, I know that's a contradiction in, in so many ways, but that's the way he treated it. Saul really was very much like a terrorist. He was so adamant that anything that contradicted his religion, he wanted to stomp it out and do away with it in whatever way it took. 
So this guy had a huge reputation, and he did that with the permission from all the religious leaders of his religion. So this guy was well-known. And so he became this guy who was trying to stomp out this whole Christian thing. They didn't call it Christianity back then. They called it the way. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They certainly weren't going to call it the truth. <laughs> they didn't want to call it the life, so they just simply called it the way. That's what other people referred to them, and they were going to stomp that out. He would do anything possible. And this guy who was trying to stomp it out, he himself became a follower of the way. And this was a big deal. Because the people who were followers, suddenly he's wanting to hang out with them. And they're like, oh my gosh, did you see? That's Saul. I'm not going to call him Paul. That's Saul. He may be here trying to kill us. He's undercover. He's a spy. He's trying to just kind of break in and get us. So they didn't trust him. But he began to hang around, and he began to grow, he began to teach. In fact, he even went into the temple, and he was teaching in Jerusalem in the temple, and the religious leaders there got so angry. I mean, they kicked him out, and it was kind of riotous. And so the, the soldiers were around. They saw all this commotion going on, and they went, and they arrested Paul, thinking that he was some guy from another country stirring up a riot. So they arrest him, and they, they treat him badly physically badly they treat him badly and and paul was a citizen of rome and these were roman soldiers and you could not treat roman citizens that way you just couldn't you weren't allowed you could treat other people that way from another country but you could not treat a roman citizen that way so now they were in trouble because they had treated paul a roman citizen this way so they weren't sure what to do so they take him to the king this guy's name is king agrippa now let me give you background on him king agrippa is the great not great. He is the grandson of King Herod. And King Herod is the king when Jesus was born that sent the soldiers throughout the area to kill all the babies. Why? Because he didn't want Jesus to survive. That's King Herod. So his grandson, King Agrippa, knows all about this stuff going on. He knows all about this man who's been chasing them down and killing them, the, the believers of the way. He knows all about this. So King Agrippa is interested in what's getting ready to happen. So Paul is brought before King Agrippa, and Paul is getting ready to tell his deconversion story of why he left his religion, boxed it up, and sent it away. And King Agrippa is interested because this is a big deal. A guy who was torturing and killing people now is following the way. Big deal. So that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 26 verse 9 and if you'll follow along with me on the screen or if you have your cell phone you can get it on a smartphone app let's read chapter 26 verse 9 and you know the numbers and the verses were added to this document much 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 later when they were writing it it was just a document in fact it wasn't even called Acts it would just say hey here's what happened to Paul so here we have now we put a title on it called Acts Chapter 26, and we're in verse 9. That's just so you can know where we are, and they added the numbers later. I used to believe, this is Paul now speaking to the king and the people who are there with him. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. So he was radical. I mean, he wanted to stamp out anything that had anything to do with Jesus. Verse 10, indeed, 
I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priests. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Paul actually thought, as he actually thought, that he was doing what God wanted him to do by killing these people, seeing that these people were killed. Paul thought he was doing what God wanted. Does that sound familiar? He was very religious, very devoted, but he was very wrong. Here we go, verse 11. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. Don't let that phrase slip by. This is saying that Paul would torture people to get a false confession from them, to renounce Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Paul was very religious, very devoted, very sincere. He was a true believer in his religious system. He said, I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. So it wasn't enough just to get them in Jerusalem. He got permission to go to cities all around and do the very same thing. To see people arrested and put in prison, to see people killed, to see people tortured until they would denounce Jesus. Verse 12. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus armed with the authority and the commission of the leading priest. Verse 13. About noon, your majesty, he's talking to the king, about noon I was on the road. Now, this is where the story gets really strange, but this is his story, his description of what happened. About noon, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. And by the way, King Agrippa, you can go talk to my companions because we're here in Jerusalem region here, and they're just over there. They're still alive because they were standing right beside me. He said... It's shown down on me and my companions, verse 14. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me. So listen to the detail he gives. He said, I heard a voice saying to me. By the way, King, if you want to know the language that Jesus spoke, here it is. I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this was confusing now. Paul, Paul is confused here. Because he thought that he was serving God by doing all of this. He thought he was showing his devotion to God. He thought that he was doing what God wanted or doing God a favor. He was not losing his, his religion. He was the most religious person he knew. He thought he was doing God a favor, but he was totally wrong. But he was convinced that he was right. The voice said, it is useless for you to fight against my will. In other words, nobody wins fighting against God. It's useless. You will not win. That's what he said. Now, Paul says this. Who are you, Lord? I ask. It's as if Paul is saying, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute, God. I, I thought that I had this all figured out, and now I'm confused because I don't have it figured out. My view 
of God has been completely wrong. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get on your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. Verse 17, and I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, yes, Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes. God is saying to Paul, Paul, I am going to send you to people all over the world. I'm going to send you to different cultures. I'm going to send you to different nations. I'm going to send you to different colors. I'm going to send you to different religions and different traditions and different practices, all kinds of practices. Some things will be similar to what you have done and what you will do, and some things will be very different. But I'm sending you to people all over the world. This is what we're going to do. But here's why. Because I want you to be a part of opening their eyes. Because they, Paul, like you, they have been looking for me in all the wrong places. They've been looking for me in systems, and they've been looking for me in people, and they've been looking for me in approaches. And none of those things are going to lead them to me. So, Paul, I need you to go and help open their eyes. So now God says this in a different way. He says, so they may turn from darkness. So, Paul, like you, they have been sincere and they have been devoted, and they have been, in, uh, they have been adamant. Some of them have just embraced what they were taught as children, but I need you to help move them from the darkness, and he says, to the light, and from the power of Satan to God. So once you have moved them there, then they, and I'm going to pause there, and let me say, this is dangerous at this point. What God is about to say here is very dangerous because this is where we could insert. We're going to move them from the power of Satan to the power of God, from the darkness to the light. And we could add here, so they, so they can do the right things and follow this list of do's and don'ts. And they can follow this list of do's and don'ts that I want to add to it. And they can follow this system, this religion, this practice this ritual, so that they can now do this ritual over and over and over again, or once a day, or once a month, or three times a day, or three times a month, so that they can do this over and over and over again, so that they can do what I want them to do. Me, the leader, the man, that they can do what the leader decides they should do. And suddenly... This thing becomes a religion, and religion seems to be all about control. And that's not what the Word says. It's not to move them from the darkness to light so that they can get involved in religion. 
Here's what it does say. From the power of Satan to God, so they will receive forgiveness of sins. And that is the aha moment of this whole thing. So you step back and you say, so, so what you're saying, God, is you're not wanting to take something from them. You're not wanting to gain control over them. To take things from them and to demand things from them. You're not wanting that. You're wanting to actually give them something. Hmm. And the answer is right. That's right. Paul, I want you to spend your life helping people understand that if they look for me in the right places, then it means it will all start with forgiveness. Forgiveness. Let me tell you something that we have common among every single one of us. We are very different here today. Some of us have pink hair. Some of us have purple hair. <laughs> some of us don't have any hair. You would say, I would take some purple. I just have wrinkles. We're very different, but we all share this this morning. You have set standards for your life. You have set some standards of behavior for your life. And you have broken some of those, haven't you? I have too. We all have that in common. We all have set a standard. We've set a bar. We've set a, 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 a reasonable expectation for ourselves. And we, at some point, have failed ourselves. We have failed ourselves. We all have shared that. We also have someone in our life has set a reasonable standard for us an expectation of behavior, and we have failed them as well, right? That, so we all have failed ourselves, and we all have failed somebody in our life that has set a standard for us. So it's not a, it's not a very big step to take it one step further and say, then we have also failed God. He has set a standard of behavior, and we have failed him. So we have failed ourselves. You have failed somebody in your life, but you have also, it's a small step to say one more thing, that we have also failed. It's reasonable to believe that God would have a standard for us and that we have failed his standard. We have fallen short of his standard as well. We may all view religion differently, but the truth that we all agree on is that we have failed ourselves, other people in our lives, and we have failed God. It doesn't matter if you kneel or bow or, or, or do this or do that. That doesn't matter. We all can agree on that. We have failed. And the message that Jesus is giving us here is the starting point that says, yes, I have fallen short of God's standard but I can be, don't miss this, I can be forgiven. 
Now listen to this. This is so important. In your relationship with someone in your life where you have failed their standard, your relationship is broken. It breaks. It is hurt. It is harmed. But when you ask for forgiveness from that person in your life and they choose to forgive you, that relationship is restored. That's how it works. It's just how it works. It doesn't matter if it's your husband or if it's your wife or if it's your child or children. It may be towards your parents. It doesn't matter if it's a family member or if it's an in-law or if it's your deepest, darkest enemy who might be your in-law. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's how relationships are put together. It's through forgiveness. And just as forgiveness repairs your relationship with another person, it also repairs your relationship with God himself. And God is ready and willing and, and, and prepared and able to forgive us where we have sinned and missed his standard. And every single person has missed their own standard. They've missed a standard someone else has put on them. But most importantly, we have missed God's standard and fallen short of his behavioral expectations. But we can receive forgiveness. And in that moment of forgiveness, don't miss this. In that moment of forgiveness, that is not when a new religion is developed. In that moment of forgiveness, that is not when you're given a new list of things to do and not do. That's not when you're given a, a, a new ritual to repeat, a new habit. To, that's not when that happens. That is a religion, and religion does not, does not bring forgiveness. God offers forgiveness, and he's not asking you to have a better religion. Forgiveness restores your relationship with God. When you're forgiven, religion doesn't start. Relationship starts. Here's our bottom line today. Whenever forgiveness from God is front and center in your life, then you are looking for God in the right places. If we have been looking for God in all the wrong places... Then, if forgiveness from God is front and center in your life, then you are now looking for God in all the right places. The moment that your understanding of your need for forgiveness, the moment that that understanding that you have fallen short and you need forgiveness, when that does not become the focus, the front and center of your life, and it begins to shift off over here to the side, you begin to look at things like religion to answer your deepest needs. You begin to look at ritual. You begin to look at posture. You begin to look at habit. You begin to look at all of these things, and we begin to once again look for God in all the wrong places. But if we can keep that knowledge that we have fallen short of God's standards and he has chosen 
and is able and is now ready to forgive us. If we can keep that at the front and center, then we're looking for God in the right places. But if this falls to the side, we begin looking around us and we begin saying, why is God so unfair? Why, why is there so much evil in the world? I, and then we begin to question and wonder, and that's when we begin to, to say religion is not answering this. Religion was never meant to answer that. And that is when we began packing it all up, and we began boxing it up, and we began losing our religion. What we need is not more tradition. What we need is not an answer to a prayer. What we need in this life is forgiveness. Because forgiveness reignites. Forgiveness restores our relationship with God. And any religion, even any Christian religion that does not have at its epicenter... The fact that we have fallen short of God's standard and that God has chosen through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, chosen to now offer us forgiveness to restore that relationship. Any religion that does not have that at the front is ultimately going to lead to no peace. It's going to lead to emptiness. It's going to lead to you feeling controlled, not restored. And that's what Paul did. He traded in his religion for a relationship with Jesus. And now the task of telling the world, anyone, the world, any single one who wants to come to God, that they can be restored in a relationship with God through forgiveness. Because they've fallen short of even their own standards. They've fallen short of the standards of their family and friends. And they most certainly, we have all fallen short of God's standard. And it's just a baby step away for us to say, I have done that. And I need God's forgiveness. And he forgives you when you ask. Not so that he can have you start a new tradition. But he did it so that he can be personal with you. And he's not looking to control you. He's looking to restore you. That is where you find God. That is looking for God in all the right places. This week, as the band is making their way to the front, this week, we don't have a specific next step for you. I know that is so rare. We don't have a specific next step for you this week. We just simply want you to focus on this this week. Focus on this. That we have fallen short of God's standard, but he has chosen through Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. He now has chosen because of that to forgive us and restore us in a relationship. Not a religion. A relationship. A personal relationship to him. He did not die so that we could have another religious ritual to do. He died so that we could personally, in a relationship, father to child with God. That's why he died. And it's all through forgiveness. So our next step this week is just simply this. Will you come back for the rest 
of this series. And we hope you will. And there's somebody in your life that probably needs to be encouraged as well. Will you bring them to sit beside you? And now, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing three songs. And for those of you whose hearts are agreeing with these lyrics, you're going to be drawn into worship and saying, God, what this song is saying, that is what I feel and believe. And I want to proclaim that to you. Others, you may not quite be there yet, and that's okay. But the words that you see on the screen, you will be able to look at and read and study. And you may still be singing and you may not be saying, I'm not sure I, I believe this yet. But if you keep this fact in front of you this morning... Even as you sing, even as you look, keep this fact in front of you that you and me, we have all fallen short of God's standard, but he has chosen to forgive us through Jesus Christ, not so that we could have a religion. He chose to do that so that we could have a personal relationship with God. So let's pray and then let's sing. God, I am so very thankful that you chose to forgive me. God, I did not, I could not deserve your forgiveness. But you forgave me. And you did that not so that I could have a new list of rules. You didn't do that so that I could have a new ritual, a new thing to do. You did that so that I could be your child. And God, I call out to you as my father. Thank you, Father, for saving me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.